ground Poor girl, poor girl, her head was never found Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. And the tunes, those are courtesy of country legend, my buddy, Bobby Mackey. It is an absolutely gorgeous, glorious day. Perhaps some of you who are listening are traveling as we are now absolutely surrounded by those holidays. I myself am back home in Colorado and I am praying for an oh-so-white Christmas. I don't know what it is in me, but when I look out that window and see nothing but snow, now don't get me wrong, not like a blinding blizzard, what have you, but a snow-covered ground, the kid in me wants to go out and absolutely play my ass off. Maybe make a snowman, perhaps a snowball fight with loved ones. Then guess what? After that third, fourth, oh hell, 20th snow angel, You get to go inside a warm, welcoming house full of friends and family. Have some hot cocoa, some hot buttered rum, whatever warms that soul, right? And sit down by a crackling fire and just enjoy. Earlier this month, we talked about the Jersey Devil. Well, I want to talk about another legendary creature, Mothman. It was interesting doing this so close to the Jersey Devil episode as my mind is still super fresh with the encounters, the information, the tells, and the history. The old JD has been around for centuries. While sightings for Mothman started in the 1960s, Jersey Devil, as we learned, has several hundreds of encounters reported. The Mothman, a handful. Regardless both brought terror and widespread panic around the community and surrounding towns. Mothman was first discovered in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. On November 12, 1966, five grave diggers were in a cemetery. They're doing what they do best. They're digging that grave. When they claim to have seen a man-like figure suddenly fly from the trees, and right over their heads. It didn't take long for the next encounter to occur. November 15th, just three days later, a car with four people were driving through an area known as the TNT area. It's a site of a former World War II munitions plant. While traveling through this area, they claim to have bore witness to seeing a large, gray, mysterious creature, species unknown to them. It was menacing and scary-looking with eerie, red, glowing eyes. They described it as, quote, a large flying man with 10-foot wings, unquote. This thing was following them, chasing them. Even when the desperate driver drove 100 miles an hour, That thing, oh, it stayed with them. Talk about terrifying, right? Days later, two firemen saw what they described as a large bird with red eyes. Mason County Sheriff George Johnson says that an unusually large heron is responsible for the sightings, not some mythical or legendary creature. A traveler driving along Route 2 in Point Pleasant saw something jumping from tree to tree. He pulled over safely on the side of the road took a couple pictures of this creature with his phone. A wildlife biologist from West Virginia University says that the sightings fit the description of the sandhill crane. (laughs) 
I'm sorry, but I must majorly disagree. Being from Colorado and still living there half of the year, I spend time in between the San Luis Valley, where my mom and stepdad and other relatives live, and Pueblo, where my dad and his side of the family live. In the San Luis Valley, which is gorgeous, by the way, definitely recommend going there sometime. Every single year, the beautiful Sandhill Crane during migrating comes through and stays for a few weeks in that part of Colorado. I've seen them on the sides of roads walking around. I've seen them in groups and meadows. And there's one wildlife area where they come in the hundreds. I see them every single year. They're big. Yes, they're huge. They can be very tall. But I don't see how the sheriff can think that this is a heron and the wildlife biologists think it's a sandhill crane. A bird as large and mighty as it is cannot follow a speeding car for several miles and easily keep up with it, especially when that car is going at high speeds. They have red on their face, but people claim to have seen red glowing eyes. In my opinion, no way in hell is this a bird that those people saw. Now, I have two very special guests joining me today. Two of my very good friends who are also fellow paranormal investigators, Annie Weibel and Brendan Shea. When I had my radio show, they were both on that. I've been on their podcast. Annie Weibel Weibel is co-host of Serial spirits podcast and social media host on paranormal warehouse she is also a contributing true crime writer for living paranormal magazine and you guys should definitely check out that magazine sometime and look up my girl weebs and she's appeared on travel channels the dead files with with my buddy steve deshavi and most terrifying places Brendan Shea is a paranormal investigator and host of Serial Spirits podcast with over a decade of experiences under his belt. He has investigated some of the most haunted places in the nation and has been featured on Destination America, Travel Channel, and Bio Network. Being in West Virginia, you know, a stone's throw away from where Mothman has been seen and all the reported sightings have been, they know a lot more when it comes to Mothman, are way more knowledgeable. So, Annie Weibel, Brendan Shea, you guys, thank you so much for joining me on Paranormal Prowlers podcast. You guys, I've been wanting you on for a while. So excited to finally get you on. Thank you so much no, for having us. The we pleasure are super is, stoked. Yes, the pleasure is all ours. Thanks for having us on. Oh, pleasure is absolutely all mine. So, of course, we know we're talking all things Mothman. Annie, you're from West Virginia. Did you grow up, like, being told tales of Mothman? I know, you know, like, New Mexico is famous for La Llorona. Uh, have you ever just grown up going, Annie, if you're not a good girl, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Actually, no. And it's a crazy thing because I grew up about 45 minutes from Point Pleasant. This is where I've spent most of my life, which is, you know, Mothman central territory there. And so, but it wasn't until, I guess, the Mothman prophecies came out, you know, the movie with Richard Gere, that really made it more, I guess, popular among the culture. 
And so because he's easy on the eyes. Uh, Richard Gear or Mothman. <laughs> oh, okay. I was gonna say both. Either way. <laughs> yeah, but so until the movie came out, you didn't hear a lot about it in local legend. And then it seems like over the past few years, and maybe it's just because that's been the time that we've really kind of dove into the story, that's when you're hearing more and more about it. And the Mothman Festival has become more popular. And so, yeah, no, I was never told as a child that I would be eaten by Mothman. <laughs> well, that, well, that's good. But, you know, it seems like you would have probably been a good kid. Me, I was like a hellraiser. But I can't see little Annie or little Brendan, for that matter, being bad. Yeah, 100%. Little Brendan was scared to death of getting in trouble. So you, you <laughs> hit that right on the head, because I, I was not a hellraiser till I till I got out of high school. So Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Um, so... You guys talk, if you will, you know a lot more when it comes to Mothman than me. Talk a bit about the history and what you guys know about Mothman. So I guess if you want to talk about the history of Mothman, you really have to go back to where it all began in the late 1700s with the Native American legends that supposedly sparked the Mothman uh, legends. And so there was a Native American chief named Chief Cornstalk, who was said to have placed a curse on the land of Point Pleasant after the English settlers came in and basically just demolished their lives there, killed a huge amount of the Shawnee settlers there. And so it was said that his dying words were kind of like this curse over the land of Point Pleasant. And so it wasn't until the late 1960s, though, that they started having sightings of this enormous winged creature with these glowing red eyes. And it seemed that the creature was associated with anything bad that kind of happened in the area, which culminated in the collapse of the Silver Bridge, I believe it was in 1967, that killed 40-some people. It was the, the main bridge that spanned the length of the Ohio River between Ohio and West Virginia happened right around Christmas time at night. The Silver Bridge collapsed Mm. and killed so many people. Uh, Some of their bodies were never recovered. And so it was said that after that, the Mothman sightings stopped. But there were all these other sightings that coincided with the Mothman himself that the people of Point Pleasant and the area around it came forward later and said they were seeing these men in black and creatures that they claimed were otherworldly. Now they call them ultra-terrestrials. And so it went so far beyond just the winged creature Mothman himself to all these crazy sightings to, you know, things that they're even talking about now from, if you've watched the series Hellier all ties together. First of all, I just learned something when you were just talking earlier. I didn't know that it it went back to the 1700s. I thought that, you know, like, you know, curse and all that stuff. I just thought that it started in 19, was it 66? That all this. Yep. Right. Right. Wow. That's really interesting. And so how does Indrid Cold come into this? Shay, do you want to talk about Indrid Cold? Yeah, we can talk about Indrid Cold. See, 
it's it's weird because, like Andy said, there wasn't just the sighting of this winged creature, and so many other weird events happen in this area. And at, like Andy, she mentioned Hellier, and like it's the big craze now. It's one of the biggest paranormal crazes now, and because it's such a good series, and it, it brings about it ties all of this weird phenomena in this area together. And one of the weird things that happened was wasn't even like it was just on the outside of. West Virginia, not even really close to Point Pleasant. And this man named Woodrow Dernberger, he was a sewing machine salesman. He was actually driving down the highway. He was heading home. It was nighttime. And there was this car chase, and it was like, you know, coming up behind him, and he could see it. And he noticed that as this thing got closer to him, this car flew and passed him. And as this other vehicle approached him, he realized it was like this weird shape, like almost like a rocket looking ship. And. Wow. It basically forced him off the road, and he pulled over to the side of the road, and this thing pulled in front of him. And this hatch opened up, almost like a, like the side of a stove. Like, the, the latch opened up, and this man stepped out. And one of the reports that people don't talk about a lot is when this happened, this thing that he crapped he was in shot straight up in the air, like out of sight. And this man approached him, and he could, like, you know... He was kind of freaked out at first. Woodrow Derenberger was freaked out at first. Yeah. And as this man approached him, uh, it was funny because we actually talked to, on our podcast, Serious Spirits, we talked to Connor Randall, who was part of the, he was on the Hellier uh, crew, the guys that went and investigated all the stuff, one of the researchers. And he said that they had talked to a lady and they actually, the description of him was like George Hamilton is what. Andrew Colt supposedly looked like the actor George Hamilton, which would make sense, I guess, because he's such a stud. <laughs> but because Andrew Colt was supposed to be this stud, yeah. And um, so this man approached him, and he like basically, you know, kind of not, you know, was ex- expressed to him, "Will you roll your window down?" So he rolled his window down. He had a conversation with this guy, but he realized that his mouth wasn't moving, and he could hear everything that this man was saying to him. And one of the strange things he said to him is, uh, you know, we're here, we're not, you know, we're not here to harm you, we're here in peace, what are they, what are, what are you called? And he knew what he meant, he said, well, my name, you know, he told him his name, and he told, he told Derberger that my name is Cold. He said, they call me Cold. Hmm. And one of the strange things, why they call them ultra-terrestrials, I think, is because they ask a lot about time. And one of the things he said to Woodrow Derenberger is, like, what what time, you know, where in time am I, kind of alluding to, to where he was. And he pointed to the city and said, what is that? And he, he basically, you know, told him, is like, that's a city, that's where people gather, that's where most of the people lived. And they just had this conversation, but it was all telepathically. And Woodrow Derenberger reaccounts this story on the news, on this talk show, and people will say like well you know he kind of made stuff up but he had could recollect all of these things because it was the very next day that he did this interview so he had it fresh in his mind and supposedly for years after that the cold family continued to have contact with with woodrow derenberger and his family and that was one of the one of the strange things that happened like a precursor to all these other sightings of mothman so it was kind of unique to if you tie all this stuff together. I mean, it kind of starts to make sense why this area is so weird. Right. No, absolutely. And that's eerie. You know, it's no surprise that 
I, I absolutely love the paranormal. We all do. But and I could investigate it all day. But when it comes to like, if I saw some like craft come in front of me, I am like the world's biggest scaredy cat when it comes to like <laughs> UFOs, aliens. I like, you know, <laughs> I'd be the person like uncontrollably like in the fetal position crying in the back. <laughs> like, oh, that, me too. It's just I, and I think scary. that's part of what makes it so difficult maybe to talk about it around here yeah. is the fact that, you know, we're in a place where there are so many superstitions that are based on, you know, it's a really religious area. You're in the the heart of the Bible Belt. And people start talking about these strange creatures and UFO sightings, and it's like, they didn't want to talk about it. And so Woody Derenberger was the first one, and he literally went on live TV. It was like a, a an, an NBC affiliate then in Point Pleasant the next day and was on for... It was in Parkersburg. Or Parkersburg. And went on the next day and tells this story on live TV. And it was just almost like... I mean, he was ridiculed by people to the point that he and his family left town for years. He didn't come back to uh, the area until he was an old man and he died here. But yeah, and that was, I think, a lot of the reason people didn't want to hear about it because it was so frightening and so out of this world let's use that pun uh, right no, and that's absolutely. one of the, and that's one of the credible things like john keel when he came and he started you know getting the accounts of of the stuff that was going on here during this this year of all these weird sightings that's why he took it so seriously because these were people who didn't talk about this phenomenon like annie said this area no one wants to talk about this kind of stuff because they don't want to believe it but right. these people are coming forward and saying yes i saw something that I could not understand. You know, they're putting their reputations on the line because they don't want people to think there's something wrong with them. Like, oh, that guy's a kook. He believes in that stuff. No, they legitimately could not dis- could not comprehend what was going on here, and that's what made it so credible. Absolutely, and and I must say, it's so sad that the guy and his family were basically felt so harassed that they just had to leave town. You know, a place where they lived and loved being. And to come back till their old age, that's just so sad. Sorry. So I'm in Jacksonville, North Carolina, right by Camp Lejeune, the Marine base. And there's times where it's like, cuckoo. And as soon as I started (laughs) recording with you guys, just like, boom, boom, boom. I like feel like I'm at like World War II or something here. Um, I thought I I heard something before. (laughs) We used to vacation there at Camp Lejeune all the time. And yeah, it gets loud sometimes. Oh, it's really loud. There's times where it's a UFO, Tessa. Oh, yeah, right? Seriously. No, no, thank you. Not going to put that thought in your head. But there you go. <laughs> no, it's crazy. There's times where my like house will shake and I have like a shot glass collection and sometimes I'll see them kind of move a little and I'm like, uh-uh-uh, if you guys break my things, I'm going to go over there. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't let me on base. Anyways, so speaking of World War II, there's, what was it, like a bunkers or something? Right. So a lot of the stories when you're going back to Point Pleasant in the 1960s began in this area that they then and now call the TNT bunkers. And so West Virginia is kind of a weird place in the fact that um, a lot of governmental secrets seem to be held here, which kind of is like 
part of the reason that everyone hypothesizes that this kind of activity might happen. So you've got, there's the place in the Greenbrier, uh, called the Greenbrier in West Virginia. There's this beautiful resort that actually had a fallout shelter built underneath it so that if we were hit by nuclear bombs during the Cold War, that's where the president and the cabinet would have come. Hmm. And the TNT bunkers were kind of one of those areas too. So during World War II, they created and stored ammunition in these enormous half-circle-shaped bunkers that still stand just outside of Point Pleasant. And I, I don't know how many of them there are. We've been in a lot of them, and people say they are just, there could be up to 100 of them. I'm not sure. I've never gone all through the property. Wow. But they are just these big half-circle concrete storage facilities and when the war was over and the ammunitions were gone the government basically abandoned the land and left and then the sightings of mothman and the men in black and the other creatures started occurring there and so they kind of tied it back to was the government here doing some type of weird experiments that they've created something that they were going to use as a weapon during the war. Oh, yeah. I could just picture all that in my head. Must be eerie. So I know you've been there before, as you mentioned, and that you actually had an experience there. Now, was it you by yourself or Shay? Were you with her? How did this happen? I was there. Ooh, talk about that encounter. <laughs> Shay's always there during the weirdest moments. So I was yeah. there. I was there when our child was conceived too. Believe it or not, yeah, you indeed. Oh were. my! Um, <laughs> oh, was that a weird moment? <laughs> that was weird. That's too weird. That's weirder than aliens. So, yeah, actually, you can cut that out if you want to, or leave oh it. no, I'm you. leaving it. There I'm leaving go. it. And just so you guys know, by the time you listen to this. They are going to be having their sweet little baby girl or a few days after. So we'll see who wants to place their bets. Yeah, we are. We just had our last ultrasound. So she's all, she's getting all squishy in there. So yeah. Talking about ultra terrestrials and ultrasounds. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it was, like I said before, growing up in West Virginia, you really didn't hear much about Mothman, at least in our generation, we didn't. And so when Shay and I started doing Serial Spirits podcast a little more than a year ago, uh, we started getting into more cryptid and legends and conspiracy theory type stories. And, and murder. And murder. And so Mothman was one of those that we, well, Shay really had a huge interest in. And it just so happened that I live 45 minutes from Point Pleasant. And so his ultimate goal last year was to go to the Mothman Festival. And we met up with a group of friends who followed another podcast called The Unbelievable Podcast. And after the Mothman Festival was over, we all traveled out to the TNT bunkers together. We'd been out there a couple of hours, maybe, just exploring the bunkers, which is kind of a surreal area Anyway, you go out there, it's dark, there's nothing else out there except for the bunkers and this nasty old chemical pond, which just seems to be runoff from all of the ammunition stuff that they've created out there. Hmm. 
And so after a couple of hours, our group had kind of dwindled down, and it was just myself and Shay and our friend Toby, who had traveled up from Texas. And we were in the third bunker in the third row that we had been in. They're basically lined up in rows, and you can go from one to the next to the next. And as we're standing in the bunker, we hear a woman screaming for help. Oh, Jeez. And so we run to the door of the bunker. Toby made it out there first. And there was an older woman who was standing outside the bunker. Now, keep in mind, it's completely dark. We're in the middle of nowhere. This woman has no flashlight. And she's just standing there looking completely and utterly helpless. Hmm. And she looks at Toby and she says, I'm trying to find my granddaughter. There's something wrong with her and she's out here somewhere. Ooh, creepy. Jeez. And so we have no idea what she means. Toby takes off down the path with her, kind of lighting her way with his flashlight. And Shay and I are left alone there in the bunker. And I got this feeling, you've been in these locations where, you know, right before something happens, you get that feeling that you're not alone anymore. Yeah. And so I got this creepy kind of shivery feeling and I'm standing in the doorway of the bunker as I turn and look over my shoulder we're not alone at the bunker anymore there is a man standing at the back of the bunker and when I say man I use that term loosely because I realized instantly that he did not seem to belong on the same plane as I did, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. He was uh, tall, thin. His skin was extremely pale. He had no hair. He had these huge blue eyes that were so bright it was almost like they were glowing. And he was wearing an outfit that I would almost describe as like an old nurse's, like 1950s, 60s male nurse's uniform like the white starched polyester shirt and pants had the buttons uh, down the front of the shirt short sleeves and the little collar around the neck and what struck me as the most strange was that he was just standing there with this huge smile on his face Hmm. and so I watched him for several seconds and I turned back to the door where Shay is standing to say something and he had already walked out and when I turned back to look at the man again he was gone and I realized that whoever whatever he was we had not been existing at the same level you know at the same time period something he wasn't physically there I knew that but I knew what I saw and so I didn't say anything about it to Shay I just, I walked out of the bunker and said, I'm ready to leave. You know, things have gotten too weird. I'm done. Yeah. And so we walk back out to the end of like the road, the one road that leads down where the bunkers are. And there had in fact been some type of emergency with somebody out there because the road was now lined with cops and ambulances and we decided it was just time to leave. And so As we're walking back to the car, I told Shay that something had happened, and I described to him what I saw, and his eyes got huge, and 
he looks at me and he says, Toby has a recorder. You need to tell him what you just told me. Toby was also a podcaster and he had been recording audio the entire time we were out there. And so I recount the story again to Toby and Shay and Shay looks at Toby and he goes, Nordics, right? And I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. And I'm just standing there as they're talking to each other. And, and, and I was like, time out. You need to explain this to me because I don't understand any of this. Right. And so what Shay described to me was something that they had actually talked about in Point Pleasant. These ultra terrestrial beings that had been seen in the area. Some of them they described as what they later called Nordic aliens. Hmm. And they were just a type of ultra-terrestrial being that existed there. And the one thing that Woody Derenberger said about his encounter with Indrid Cold, he called him the smiling man or the grinning man because of the huge smile that stayed across his face the entire time that they had a conversation telepathically. And so when I told that part of the story to Shay, you know, this guy had just this weird grin across his face. Like, why is he smiling at me like that? And then I heard the story about Indra Cold, the grinning man. It all made too much sense and was incredibly freaky. And I told him, I said, "I, I refuse to believe that I saw an alien out there. I don't know what I saw. But what I saw out there was enough to convince me that something absolutely exists out there and it's not of this world. Right. Yeah. And that is really eerie. I'd be right there with you. I'd be like, uh, no, but it is interesting. Like I lived in New Mexico for a number of years and as a kid, we had seen things, you know, and I have friends who are in that area who have also encountered things and they they're all like different you know like mine for instance it looked like the brightest of all stars in the middle and then surrounding it were these other like balls of light that moved and they would go in and out and come out from the sky close to our car and back up and I was a kid seeing this stuff and it terrified the shit out of me. Like, you know, like, holy crap, right. no thank you, you know. But, and to this day, I'm still stumped by it, you know. And so I think just like spirits, you know, they they show themselves how they want to be seen, you know, whether it's by a mist or an apparition or partial apparition or, you know, something. I think right. that is obviously the same with with aliens the just yeah that's that would be really eerie so question did you guys ever find out what happened with that woman's grandchild i think she was having like some kind of seizure or something like that i it's kind of weird because the whole acreage area this woman's like out here by herself and her family's all the way across this pond so it's like Hmm. how she got all the way over there i don't know but the girl must have just been walking along and had a seizure or like you know was had low blood sugar or something. We never really found out. We just knew she was okay. We heard people talking, some of the, you know, ambulance crew, and uh, there were so many people out there. It, it became this really popular thing after the Mothman Festival that, you know, all the out-of-towners would go out to the TNT bunkers and just kind of walk around and, and 
look and investigate on their own. And so it's hard to tell how many people were out there that night. It was just so strange that it all coincided with, with this, you know, this emergency that happens. And so we, I started doing a little more research about Nordics after this happened and Mothman and how it all tied together. And the one thing that I read about Nordic beings were that they were, um, almost like the peaceful protectors that were, they said were sent to earth. And it's like, maybe whatever this being was showed himself because there was some type of danger or distress happening with this woman. And he was like, I don't know, they're watching over something or watching over the property. I don't know. It was just weird that it happened in that same place and time. Right. No, absolutely. That must have been a trip. And one of these times I'll have to go visit you guys and we might have to go and check it out. You absolutely have to come down here and check it out because it's it's something that if you are into the paranormal, if you're into history, if you've heard any of these legends whatsoever, yeah, it's fascinating to go out there and just see all of it for yourself because it really is an eerie feeling out there. Oh, yeah, I could only imagine. And by the time I go out there, you guys will have the world's youngest paranormal investigator, the little one. So that'll be like super exciting. And so one more thing before I let you guys go, you know, looking into the history of Mothman, I know that like the sheriff, for instance, said, oh, it's a heron, you know, an unusually large bird. Sandhill crane, yeah. Yeah, right. And then, well, yeah, the the wildlife biologist said the sandhill crane. And, you know, being from Colorado, those beautiful cranes come through every year. And I've seen them when I'm rafting and I've just, you know, I've seen them around and they are gorgeous. But I was like, you know. I'm not sold. You you that you know trying to debunk it and saying it it's, it's a bird. And yeah, the sandhill crane has some red on its face, but the red glowing eyes and the the chasing people and that one instance where it's following that car as they're going 100 miles an hour trying to get out and it stayed with them the whole time. Birds can't do that. I don't care if you're <laughs> the biggest baddest bird in the world, you can't right. keep up with that kind of stuff. So, it just goes to show how, you know, debunkers they're going to try to debunk every single little thing. But that goes back to the whole, you know, they didn't want to believe that something like that could even exist. Right, and so not in their town, right. It's just a way to, to, you know, play it off as something plausible. Right. And, I mean, but how do you explain things like the Cleves conjunctivitis? When people saw, you know, the man's eyes, their eyes, they would wake up the next day and their eyes would almost be clouded over because they'd have this conjunctivitis. And basically, welders will get it if they don't wear their masks, where their eyes will, you know, almost, it's like almost burning your eyes. Yeah. How do you explain that? Right. Yeah. I tell you. Well, a big, huge thank you, Weaves and Shay, for being on. You guys, I always have such a pleasure chatting with you guys. You know, you better get some good nights of full sleep because it's going to be a while (laughs) before you get it again after the little one's born. Oh, man. Yeah, it's already begun. She <laughs> likes to have little jazzercise sessions at about 3 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, the the no sleep has already begun, but we're doing our best. And thank you for having us on. You know, we love talking about Mothman. We love talking with you, and it's always a pleasure. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, thank you. 
Oh, you guys rock. Thank you so much. Always have an absolute blast with Annie Weibel and Brendan Shea. They are just totally awesome people. Again, big shout out. And earlier we mentioned Camp Lejeune and the boom, boom, booms. If you heard that, that's what that was. And just want to give a big shout out to the troops, to all the soldiers, all the people in military, keeping us safe. And for those who aren't going to be with their families for the holiday, you guys are loved and appreciated and just keep doing what you're doing, you guys and gals. So did you enjoy this week's episode? Of course you did. Check out the others, you guys. They're equally phenomenal. You want a reminder of when the newest episodes are available for your listening pleasure? Subscribe now through iTunes, Deezer, Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, Podcast Republic, and so many others. See you next week!